Hello, uh, I'm Ari, your host at Episteme Entrepreneur, the podcast dedicated to scientists, entrepreneurs, and deep tech startups that will change our lives. Today, I will have the support of Olivier Favre, co-host, and we hope you will have fun discovering the story of amazing entrepreneurs. Um, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Olga Kubasova, mathematician by training, PhD in computer science from the University of Leeds, and she is the founder CEO of IAG, Image Analysis Group, a company based in London and operating since 2007, 2007, right? Uh, Dr. Kubasova is a world expert in artificial intelligence applied to medical imaging. Uh, nice to have you, Dr. Kubasova. How are you today? Uh, thank you very much. Very good. Thank you. So um, let's start by a little bit uh, talking about your path from Kazakhstan to, to uh, London. So um, uh, could you tell us a, a little bit about your initial training? Sure, of course. Uh, well, as you know, I was born in Kazakhstan, which is quite remote place uh, comparing to where we are today. And uh, my first degree was in mathematics. So I went to specialist school in physics and mathematics school back in Kazakhstan. And when I was 16, I got recruited into St. Petersburg State University, which is in Russia. And it's one of the best universities in Russia to provide training in mathematics and physics. Mm -hmm. So um, during my studies um, at the university, mathematical degree takes six years. Uh, but it's split into two. So there's a bachelor and there is a master's degree. So after four years of doing a bachelor in mathematics, we had an opportunity to also apply for international master in IT, information technology in Finland. Mm. So Finland geographically located very close to St. Petersburg. So for the last year of, uh, for the last two years of my training, I was doing two masters, one in IT in Finland and one in mathematics in Russia. Mm. So then I graduated from both universities uh, in 2004, I think. And um, of course, you know, there's always a choice if, uh, if you want to go into the industry. And I got an offer from uh, somebody doing hyperspectral image compression. So that was my, one of my masters was focused on that and basically work on NASA related projects which was fascinating. And it would mean that I would move to Wisconsin, US. And then alternatively, I got an offer to do PhD in University of Leeds in mm. information technology and computer science. And so I thought it would be an amazing opportunity to actually combine mathematics and computer science in, in one of the areas, right? Because I didn't really know that medical imaging will become something I will continue working uh, up to today. So I moved to Leeds uh, and it was uh, to me a completely new environment. I arrived there and discovered that the University School of Computing was right next to Leeds General Infirmary, mm. which is one of the largest hospitals in Europe, uh, which was first uh, its many musculoskeletal discoveries. Mm. So they were first to conduct very advanced imaging studies on patients with inflammatory joint diseases they were first to develop new sequences. And then School of Computing was um, very well positioned to get the data, which was really cutting edge data and experiment. So initially my PhD was around finding a way how to take away the motion from a patient's scans after patient might have moved inside the MRI scanner. 
So it's, it's like a methodology or an algorithm. And effectively, um, I started somewhere there. So we took a few scans, we see patient movements, and I developed the first algorithm to see how we can compensate for that movement. And that was about first year of my PhD. And then uh, once we solved that problem, we moved on. So there was another problem of looking at various uh, tissues and various manifestations of the disease within the scan. So second problem was how to detect those tissues and diseases and changes. So in computer science uh, words, it's called segmentation. So that was the second issue. But then, you know, once we solved that, the most fascinating problem was how to actually enhance the interpretation of the scan. So at the time, the scans were quite complicated. So we have ability to capture patient's inflammation and ability to capture changes in bone, such as erosion. But it's done by a radiologist who is observing the changes. And there are only so many shades of gray a human eye can differentiate. So the problem was, how can we actually move away or complement the radiological assessment with quantitative methodology, something which would be driven by a machine? At the time, which you probably remember, it's uh, more than 10 years ago now, that was completely new even way of thinking, so quite pioneering way of thinking. And uh, my um, last methodology was on applying quantitative analysis. So it's truly AI-driven analysis, machine-driven analysis to a scan to recognize inflammatory activity within that scan. So, um, and that was the end of my PhD. So I got a few algorithms. It was a big book of methodologists and uh, a great community of radiologists who really were helpful to interpret what I was doing. And in the meantime, I met uh, one of the uh, friends and colleagues who till this day we work together, who had images from different scanners. So they were based in Copenhagen and in Italy and in the US. So Leeds had scanners X, Y, Z, and those people had different type. So my PhD encompassed uh, the whole range of different scans and different diseases, starting from rheumatoid arthritis, going into psoriatic, osteoarthritis, inflammation in the spine, even oncology scans. So we applied different methodologies. We applied my methodologies to different scans. Mm which was very interesting. So we really see, uh, we really saw at the time that that would have uh, its own place in the world. So there's something, something there which would allow us to maybe move a needle in a, in a way uh, to interpreting those images. And so I went to uh, vice chancellor of the university and you have to remember I was 26 at the time. And I said, I think my PhD research is great. I'd like to commercialize it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes, so the answer was, well, we think that there are not enough MRI scanners in the world to make real money with that. So I said, okay, well, you know, if nobody wants it, can I commercialize it myself? And I think at the end, the vice chancellor just shook his head and said, sure, just go ahead, commercialize whatever you want. And uh, so we started, you know, we got a grant from uh, a local business development agency and uh, it was 20,000 pounds, which was complemented with a contribution from me. 
and we set up a company. So I called it Image Analysis because I thought image is image, we can do anything. Again, <laughs> when you are 25, you can do anything. And um, we started building software. We built the first version of our software called Dynamica. And then that software uh, incorporated all the methodologies and all the algorithms which were built during my PhD. And that's how the company really started. Great. So um, when you started your study at university, did you have already a, a career plan? I mean, do you, how do you imagine yourself? Do you imagine yourself to becoming a professor at university teaching mathematics? Or do you see yourself having a company uh, such as Elon Musk? Or what was your dream when you started? <laughs> Uh, well, so I, I have to be honest, you know, I didn't have a defined path, but mm. my, uh, my, my mother and my grandmother both have PhDs and both. Mm. Uh, so it was kind of very much on a path of the research and okay. still research to me is, is really very attractive. Mm. But I think coming across people who said, look, your research is not just research, we could really use it. We just can't use it in this state, you know, of MATLAB code, which you had. Can you just make it more efficient? I think coming across those people and that support really shifted my mindset from being pure researcher and sort of building my university career into trying, you know, trying to give it a go, trying to maybe a year or two to see how this goes. <laughs> great, great. So, and then um, during your PhD study, Uh, all of this uh, insight emerged, you know, and then you see that you have a great opportunity to do something with it in the, in the commercial era. So uh, you, you, you had a grant. You also put some money out of your own. Uh, you created the startup. And did you have any support from the University of Leeds? I mean, the technology transfer office or the incubator or, or, did, it, or did you do everything for your, by your own? Yes, I had a, I had a great, uh, great uh, network there and great support. But, you know, at the time, maybe it wasn't that established. Mm. So I started the company in 2007. And I think uh, we're still building that uh, framework for students to, to get there. I had uh, a place, I had a little office, which was given to me, but it was somewhere downstairs and my mobile didn't work <laughs> there. So I couldn't really do much. Um, I had, um, you know, I had real good people who were sort of helping me to write my first business plan. But I have to mention the most support was from an ex-graduate alumni from the university. So Peter Thompson. So he uh, was, he is a uh, true visionary. So years ago, uh, he established a program which was called uh, like a best enterprise idea or something like that. And anybody from university, students or staff could apply with their idea to this program. Mm. And so I submitted my idea and I won the competition. And I won the competition. It was 5,000 pounds award. And I put the money towards the company. So it was part to complement the grant. And then about a year after running the business, I emailed him. I never met him because he couldn't attend the competition. <laughs> and uh, in about a year time, I emailed him to say, dear Sir Peter, you know, I'm Olga. I have won your award. And I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I spent money on building a company and now we have one client and we have this revenue and we have a grant. And I didn't really expect much. 
but actually uh, he replied and not did he just reply he met me in a year time and he became my first investor mm. so it was very interesting because i think when you come in from academia truly research you don't think about revenue as much you really think about research and uh, at the time we had a first client which was tremendous client we had abbott laboratories using this software we've just built in studies with real key opinion leaders and real patients. And we got a research contract, I think, for two years. And as a team at Abbott was incredibly supportive. So I thought I conquered the world. I had revenue of about 80,000 and I thought that's it. I don't need much. And so Peter said, so look, why don't I just give you as you know, equity investment, another, I think it was 100 or 150,000. And I said, no, I don't need the money. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I am good. <laughs> I have two developers. I'm myself. We're good. He said, just have it and put it in the bank and see what you can do with it. And I think, you know, the first time you take somebody's money, and again, this is probably coming very European, very academic approach, you now become responsible for it. Sure. You really feel that this is not like, you know, my 5,000 of award or some grant. It's somebody puts their real cash into your business and really trusted you with that cash. And now you have to do something about it. So there was no, I never had business studies per se, but I thought, okay, well, I need to learn how people really build in the companies. And again, I was extremely lucky. The Goldman Sachs uh, Bank, they run uh, like a mini MBA. Mm. Uh, and I think it was for people with a revenue of half a million. And I was a bit <laughs> short of that and a few other sort of conditions. But somehow they accepted me on the program. And I think that was a real life-changing experience because it was run over the weekend. Every weekend, they would give us a course on marketing, sales, accounting, stuff which you don't necessarily learn in your PhD. So um, combination of having the first investor, establishing my first board, having this first connection to um, what business really like, really helped to, to make this a company. Mm. And so, of course, you know, you, you start somewhere and then we thought, okay, maybe the first thing first, let's hire some salespeople and let's think about the sales and let's think about revenues and the customers and then how to make software really work and of course one after another we we grew very very fast because people saw the potential of the platform and the algorithm and saw the potential of the company so i think that was a great help from the university that initial push and the university also had a connection with goldman sachs mm. and they sort of supported me to get onto this program I think that was more valuable probably than any, anything else. So if I resume, uh, a great angel investor, uh, a great business education, short business education by Goldman Sachs, plus a great idea, this make IAG, right? <laughs> yes, and of course, you know, all the people who were around and from start course. to finish, the you users, are... the actual users of all of this. Absolutely, well, we are going to talk about, about the EAJ in particular. Um, uh, and the business education, does the business education change your mindset? I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, I was also a scholar, so uh, 
I, I am not, a, I completely changed it since what I was in the, in, the, in the lab, you know, 20 years ago from now. Uh, and due to business education and doing business, uh, does the business education and doing business change your mindset? So you're, uh, well, how can I say? Know, mm. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question. I, um, I think business education enhances your way of thinking about your idea. Mm. I would say I may be incorrect, but just having pure business education and trying to go into science, probably not going to work. Sure. Probably with a business education, you can set up a business around consumers and around, you know, something which we all understand. But to get into scientific business like pharma or biotech or medical imaging, I think primarily you need to have uh, that, that education, which really is subject matter education. Absolutely. And then you can apply it. You know, you could really enhance it with, with business. A couple of things happened as well, you know, so while I was doing Goldman Sachs, a mini MBA, uh, I was also asked to join Mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg MBA type thing. So they mm. were doing something for, so they collected uh, CEOs from around the world, I think it was about 20 of us. And they selected these companies because they felt that we would have um, connection to New York. And we would set up our first office in the U.S. in New York. So mm. that's how, you know, the, the idea of the program was. So I've traveled to New York, U.S. probably for the first time, not quite first time, but first time on a business trip, mm -hmm. not conference. <laughs> and was shown how U.S. operates as a business. And again, when you just started the business, all of this is happening two years in, two, three years into my business it's all so useful that just different perspective on how US is different from Europe, how people build their companies. So we went to Google offices, we met some lawyers, we met some accountants. You don't necessarily think about it when you're doing PhD. And so exposure to that, just seeing it is, is very, very powerful. So I would say, you know, anybody who has a great scientific idea, it might be just worse to have a year as in turn or as a as something in a company which does business mm -hmm. because it's just the combination of that which allows you to make me a little bit less mistakes as you you know as you're proceeding <laughs> with your own company sure uh so very very impressive path and uh it's very very uh, uh informative you know for young younger scientists who want to commit so thank you again for uh telling us your your path uh, it's very, very important. So now let's talk about EAJ now. Um, so you founded EAJ in London in 2007, right? Just after your PhD. IAG. Uh, IAG, sorry. What did I say? AIG, which is fair uh, because, mistake. Yes, I'm French. You know, uh, <laughs> a -A -I -A -G, right? IAG, Image I Analysis Group. It's, you know, because the I in French is different. So we say E. <laughs> That's why. Sorry. IAG. Uh, in London. Um... So I founded it in Leeds. Leeds, and, yes. Uh, yes. So Leeds was my first office. Mm -hmm. And uh, we moved to London um, in 2014. Mm. So that's one of my, my questions. Uh, why this movement? Uh, is there better business opportunity in London? So it was very interesting. I think um, we realized that at the time before COVID, you really need to see customers, right? You need to see people face to face and 
convince them of your offer and make sure that they understand, you know, that what you're doing is valuable. It takes uh, 10 hours from Leeds to go to the US because you need to go via London or via somewhere. Mm. And it takes six hours from London to go to the US. And it's a big difference. Uh, So as CEO, I've been on the road for the last 10 years nonstop. (laughs) And you have to really think, I, I don't even travel with luggage. I only travel with hand luggage regardless how far I go. Because every minute in the airport just has to be counted towards, you know, my lost time. And so um, that was one of the reasons. So we really thought that connections to the world are much better. Mm. You could be much faster in places where you need to be. Second, I thought um, that maybe a talent pool, you know, people come to London from all over the world, from Europe and Asia and everywhere. And they may just pass through London, fall in love and stay. Mm. And um, to me, that was also a possibility to hire people who are very different and international. Mm. So company right now has, I don't know how many nationalities, a lot, all of them. We have everybody (laughs) from every country. (laughs) But I think it makes it great because we also never stale. We never kind of just steal. And we constantly have new talent, new people coming in. And it's it's different when you are in a smaller place like Leeds. Mm. Of course, there are good universities there, but I think it just London gets that extra rotation of people and extra enhancement. And of course, we wanted to be surrounded by clients. So sure. London is, is a great place to be because you can reach your clients by train, by car. And the same was the choice of our office in the US. So we picked Philadelphia at the end, not New York for our office. And um, again, we're surrounded by our clients. So everybody in New Jersey or in New York area or somewhere in Pennsylvania, so important to be very close to people who you want to create relationship with and trust. So this is a great teaching, thanks. Um, You know, because our audience are young scientists who who dream to become an entrepreneur. So very, very insightful, thank you very much. So now, um, what is the the mission of AAG, AAG, <laughs> and could you pitch us uh, a little bit about AAG and let's let's maybe uh, dig into into the business a little bit. Sure. Um, so AAG, Image Analysis Group. Um, I suppose we started as a software company focused on medical image analysis, and our mission was to bring the best quantitative methodologies from computer science and from mathematics into medical image analysis. So what we saw uh, was years that when you are aiming with this methodologies to make a real impact, you want to select an area of application of the methodologies. Because um, we don't uh, focus on fast analysis, we focus on deep analysis. Mm. What it means is that if you give us an image we will try to distill as much information out of it as possible with these methodologies rather than to solve it quickly. Mm. So that type of approach was very valuable in biotech and pharma clinical research. And the reason for it is because uh, when you're developing a new drug, uh, at the very early stages of drug development, you want to understand uh, everything, everything about this drug. You want to take one scan before the drug is given and another scan after the drug is given. 
you want to compare those scans, you want to see all the changes, all minute details, you want to understand the depths of that information because it helps you to really bring a decision about is it going to work or not to a surface. So you don't make a mistake by proceeding with a drug if it's not working. Also, you have a very small number of patients in those trials. So the more enhanced your analysis, the more information you have. When you go further down the line, so with uh, clinical development, you have uh, later phase studies, then you have a very large patient populations. And the medical imaging plays a critical role of bringing out the efficacy. But again, you want to understand how does this efficacy look like? So what changes under the drug performance? So our methodologies were really helping to get that information out. So we work with pretty much all major pharmaceutical players and many, many biotech companies. And you could see we have scientific partnerships with players like Eli Lilly and Takeda and several biotech partnerships, which announced on our website. And that was sort of the kind of the end of the process of a drug development, the the analysis of the data. But of course, when you look at the entire business of drug development from imaging angle, you also see that there is a lot of logistics involved into the trial. You have these images acquired at a number of sites. So sites as a hospital. So you have patients coming, let's say, to 100 hospitals to take this drug and to be imaged before you take the drug and after. So you need to have a network of these hospitals connected so each of them can upload the data somewhere centrally, and then the data could be analyzed. But this is not the end of the equation because you also have uh, project managers who look after the process, so they also stakeholders in the trial. You have uh, radiology readers who also stakeholders in the trial. You have people who are responsible for setting up the scanners, they call technologists or radiographers. Basically, every trial is like a team of people from different backgrounds needing to access information differently and needing to get information out of the system on a different level. So we created the whole platform to manage and coordinate the imaging clinical trial. And this is, uh, was, we were probably the first company who had a cloud-based platform. Yeah. I'm not saying if it was the first, but one of the first ones. It was, we were still uh, bombarded with questions about security, is cloud is any good? <laughs> but, you know, again, it was years ago and now it's just a new norm. If you don't have a cloud and something is wrong with your setup. Mm. And so we created a cloud platform which allowed us to efficiently manage logistics. And that comes with compliance to many regulations in many countries. It comes from audit trail of all your actions, security, uh, anonymity of a patient data, a lot of intricate uh, parts and moving parts within the trial. Mm. And then we added the library of medical image analysis methodologies to the platform. So right now we have a quite large uh, computer science and uh, development team. So the algorithm team, as well as back office team, so computer science team, who building the platform and updating the platform, maintaining the platform. So it's getting expanded and delivered. And that actually allowed us to provide the full offering to a pharma or biotech client, Mm. allowing them to really see their data. 
throughout the process of the trial and then have the best algorithms to process the data to get the numbers. Mm. So where we see our mission as IAG is we're really working very, very closely. We, I call it partnering because it's really a partnership of two teams, ours and the client. Mm. And we work on setting up the best imaging strategy behind the clinical development programs. We work on executing that strategy with our team and with our technology. And then we are disassembling data and trying to distill as much information out of the imaging data as possible. So this type of partnerships, I think, very successful because you get so much information, you get insight into your data, you have full visibility of the trial. And we believe that really helps to accelerate drug development process itself. And it's important because for a pharma company or biotech, you want to make decisions fast. Mm -hmm. If something isn't working, you want to know fast. Absolutely. If something is working, you want to know as well, but you know you want to be confirmed on that sort of, you know, information. And of course, it's ultimate goal to get the patients, you know, to get the right drugs to the right patients as mm. fast as possible. So it's very fulfilling. If I have uh, to resume in simple words for people who are um, listening us or watching us because they don't have uh, the IT background, your technology allows the, the, allows the, the, the radiologist to identify uh, things that happen on the image without your technology, maybe he couldn't see with his own eyes, right? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to, to, to make a yes. resume. So, so the technology, Dynamica is a platform which allows to conduct full imaging clinical trial, right? So it conducts everything from logistics to analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, in analysis phase, it's really enhancing radiologist work to get information which they may not notice with their mm. eye. And also concerning the clinical trials, um, could you, um, at the beginning of the trial, help to, to select the patient, you know, the candidate for a clinical trip? Because sometimes you have symptoms that could be very close to um, a disease, but in fact, you are not uh, affected by the disease. And you can be enrolled by mistake into the clinical trial. Could, you, could your technology help to decipher, you know, to, to select more preci precisely the patient? Absolutely. I think it's a very good question, extremely good question. So part of what absolutely needs to happen in the trial is selection of the right patients. Mm. And this is such a critical step because if you pick, if you have a small population, but even if you have a large population and you pick the wrong patients, mm -hmm. you will never succeed because you're already competing against placebo or maybe active comparator in the drug trial. So having patients with comorbidities and which every disease will have, you need to be so precise on what you want mm -hmm. and then very precise at what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the very important steps in the trial for sure. Thank you for this precision. Olivier, maybe you have a question, no? <clears throat> yes, so uh, yeah, I understand. So you have one part, it's about managing the trial workflow uh, on one side and a set of algorithm. Uh, available to uh, interpret the symmetry uh, on the side. I understand you probably uh, have extended from the initial uh, qualitative analysis technology, maybe to include deep learning techniques as well. Oh. Yeah, so we, we expanded, of course, from original musculoskeletal work, you know, which was our prime uh, sort of, you know, area of expertise into oncology, 
neurology, rare diseases, uh, various indications, therapeutic indications, which need imaging in their drug development. And now, of course, with using AI, it's, it's even better because once you have vast data sets, then you can apply even deep learning algorithms to really process that data and get even further insights. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, AI, as you know, is not uh, one-sided, right? So AI could help um, in a quick way of reading the data, so it can help to interpret this particular image. It could help to uh, make a decision based on a set of images and set of patients, right? So you could train your algorithm on a set of patients, the next patient will be categorized accordingly. But then even bigger wise, you can combine multiple data streams within uh, your trial. So not just imaging, but clinical data, uh, blood tests, everything, everything, together with maybe patient age and various diseases, let's say comorbidities, to really have predictive a way of thinking about the trial. I think it's still in the future, uh, the prediction of the outcomes, but I think it's not a far, far removed. So you're using also clustering techniques maybe to isolate uh, specific uh, patient pools or? Yes, we use, I mean, we use a lot of uh, interesting tools within Dynamica and uh, with our partners. So we also work with a lot of bio, uh, smaller companies who have maybe one or two algorithms. So we bring them on board and uh, uh, try to utilize their methodologies in trials. So everything from pure AI to computer-aided detection to predictive analytics or precision medicine, I think all of that is critical in tomorrow's drug development. So we need to be ready today. Okay. And also maybe a more technical uh, question uh, from the start. So you started a PhD, so I, I probably... Uh, with published uh, with published studies on your side, how did you maintain later your your edge with your secret sauce, right? On uh, to to protect uh, your, your company uh, from a publicly uh, published uh, paper. Yeah, so um, you know it's a good question. Um, I think what we do in our PhDs, you know, it's it's probably could be replicated. I would say, of course, uh, because it's published. But uh, for someone to do it, you really need to know what you're doing. So my PhD was collection of, I don't know how, eight I think, different algorithms combined into different ways to deliver one result. And um, I don't think we, I mean, if somebody replicates the, the methodology is one thing, but then you have to replicate all the validation. You have to replicate the very loyal user base as well. So you need to convince the users instead of what you just today use and use something else, but it's exactly the same. So it's a little bit contradictory to to a user. Why would you do that? So I think when you come in into the business, of course, you start with something. You start with one idea, but that idea will really change. I think by the time you are on a fifth year of your company, that idea got enhanced and changed and modified and became a user-friendly package rather than a PhD sort of uh, algorithm. Great teaching, thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, so the transfer of technology is not just uh, a technology by itself, it's, all, it's also um, a whole know-how, you know? 
So yes, don't, the teaching would be, uh, don't be afraid if you have already published. Uh, it's, it's the know-how that you will bring into the company that makes the difference, that makes the difference. Yes, absolutely. Um, I have, a, let's say, more, more, more business question once again for our audience. How do you, um, how do you price your solution? I mean, I'm not asking you how much do you sell your, your, your solution, but how uh, do you put the right, the right price on your solution? Um, because most of the time uh, when you need to put a price, uh, you go to, the, to, to, to see how much the, the, the competitors uh, sell, are selling the solution or the product. But in a very high-tech company that is selling solution to a very specific uh, niche, uh, it's, it's not as easy. You know, to, to find the right uh, numbers. Yes. So, um, I mean, there are a lot of ways of thinking about it. How much customer would pay, and what does it mean? But I think uh, at the very start of the company, um, at the very beginning, in the first few years, I'm not sure it's about the price really, because you really need to gain credibility with your customers and your users. I would say price it at whatever you want, you know, as long as somebody buys it. If you mm. convince somebody to pay $10 or 100 it's really at the end of the day, doesn't matter. So get people to use it, mm. get people to commit to that and give you feedback. And for me, the first, we had a, actually a, a free running sort of program, just giving people software, asking them to give us feedback. Uh, that helps to build great networks and good relationship and really loyal uh, supporters of the business. But eventually, as a company, you know, when you are uh, no longer three people and a dog, you know, you need to think about other things. You mm. committing to a customer like us for two, three, five years. Mm -hmm. If you price your solution for three dollars, then you're probably going to go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a pure logic here, right? So it's not just a solution you sell. You sell, you sell your infrastructure. You have your desks. You have your quality control function. You have your accountants. You have your lawyers. So as a CEO, you really need to find a good balance because obviously there are very large companies. And if you start comparing your price to their price, it, their price, of course, would look much more expensive, but there is other things behind that price. Mm -hmm. uh, then there are two small companies who are too cheap and maybe your price will look too much comparing to them. But again, uh, are this company going to exist in a year or two? Mm -hmm. You know, will sure. that, you know, what's going to happen to that data? So we, we probably adjusting our pricing model as we go along a little bit. Obviously, always comparing and asking the customers, is that working for them? Is it too much? Is it too little? Normally, is it too much? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's not even about the price. It's really not. It's, it's really getting the information. If you have a customer in front of you, you calculate the amount of effort you need to deliver what you're just proposing, right? Mm -hmm. So in our case, it would be time of the project manager, time of the technology team, time of the radiology team, um, just rough, rough understanding of that cost to you. You should have a margin on it because obviously you need to run an office, you need to run other things. But at the beginning of the process, that should be your price. And you should really work with the customer to discuss what the price really looks like. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, eventually you will hit the right spot for the right services, the right software, and you will try to build on top of it. Mm 
Okay. Because then comes extra efficiencies. You've done it once, you're now doing it twice. You now can do it much more efficiently. You don't need as many people. Um, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, have you raised your breaking point right, uh, now? Or financial uh, breaking point? I mean, uh, your your. Yeah, so business is profitable for the last uh, many years, actually. Right. But um, it's not also, you know, profitability is is kind of one of the aspects of running the business. You really, that's why you need to structure the pricing right mm. uh, together with the growth of the business. Absolutely. We reinvest a lot of our profits back into the business because we're building our platform. We're constantly enhancing the platform. Um, but, you know, we truly believe that that's the future. That's the future of drug development. You have to have the right technology for the drug development. So what is the next step in terms of funding? Will you open your your fundraising for next round or will you bootstrap, you know, your your, your growth by your, by, by your clients? So we have a great uh, uh, client network right now. So we run about uh, 70 to 100 projects per year. So mm -hmm. we have roughly uh, quite a few clients. Uh, and these clients stay in with us now for many years. Uh, so they continue business with us. And this number is constantly growing, which is, which is really good. We are now looking at strategic partners partnerships with or alliances or investors who can really open us um, like a next step of growth. Mm. And we believe that the next step of growth will come from a broader geographical expansion. So we're now in the US and UK and Europe, so the location-wise. We would like to uh, go into Asia as a next step. It's not so important nowadays to be physically present somewhere, sure. but it's still important. So mm. Um, I think one of the alliances we will be looking at is how to expand the business into Asia. And uh, then also looking at complementary therapeutic areas, complementary alliances with maybe other providers of the uh, similar service to see how we can build a true infrastructure and kind of true ecosystem for our clients. Sure. So comprehensive one. Absolutely. So... Um... Maybe and I just uh, just forget a question about the application of your technology. Right now, you are focusing on the on the pharmaceutical company and the clinical trial, right? Yeah. But could we imagine uh, that one day uh, EAG would would be applied uh, in common host in all hospital for for you know the common uh, 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 radiography and, and, and MRI, you know, for the common exam. And, so and, yeah, currently and, it's not in our plans. Mm. So to go into the hospitals. Um, Maybe eventually with the right partner, mm -hmm. but um, I think as a company, we have a great focus on doing what we're doing right now because mm. it's, it's almost no, no time to divert. Everything moving very, very fast. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, Olivier, do you have a question? Um. Well, so on the technical standpoint, I don't think that we, we need to go uh, deeper. Uh, so I, I think, yes, it was very, very interesting uh, what, you're, what you're doing and how, how you're building the business. So uh, maybe uh, you can follow on, uh, Ari. Okay. Uh, so let's conclude then. Um, uh, I'm trying to coming back on the main screen. Voila. Um, so... Uh, Dr. Kubasova, it was a 
great pleasure to have you. Maybe if you have uh, could offer one, two, or even three pieces of key advice. You, you give us a lot of teaching. Thank you very much. It was great. But if you want just to say, you know, one or two or key pieces of advice to, to students in hard science who dreamed, you know, to, to create your, their deep startup and becoming uh, like you um, and changing the world, changing our life of people, how, uh, how would be uh, your, your, your advice? Okay, so I think maybe one piece of advice is uh, if you really have something inside you which tells you that what you have is good, just go for it, regardless who says what or who doesn't believe in what and how this is going to work out. Just give it some time, a year, two years, and just go for it. But my second piece of advice is do not give up. So if you mm. If you're committing to something, do not give up after three months because that gets harder. You have all this enthusiasm at the very beginning. You want to start a company, but then it hits you real hard. You need to actually call people and ask them to buy what you've just built. Mm. And maybe you're not a natural salesperson, but you still have to do it. So don't give up at difficulties. And there will be no better person than the founder to really promote this initial product, this early, early stages. And then my third piece of advice, you have to dream big. You know, mm. you, you very often, you know, contradictory to don't give up. Eventually it gets to the point where you are there. So you have some revenues, you have some customers, you have some people around you. And you probably done it because you had tremendous focus on getting there. But also, you have to dream big. You can't just lock yourself in a little box and say, this is what I am. Mm. Now I am the company which delivers 1 million revenue and I'm very happy there. You really need to see why you're doing it, what impact you're making. By becoming bigger, can you make a bigger impact? Perfect. Uh, Dr. Kubasova, it was a real pleasure to have you in Episteme Entrepreneur. Your scientific and entrepreneurial path are impressive, and we hope you will inspire many young scientists to join the movement. Thanks for being our guest. Um, we forget to, 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 to talk about your great and amazing team. You have fantastic people around you. Uh, I, I followed, so we followed some of your webinar and see uh, people who are working with you who are just the top of the top. Um, so thank you again. Thanks again for, for Thank you very much. with us. <laughs>